I'm a narrow cat, no wide flows. African descent, that's why I got the wide nose. With my kinky hair and black skin, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's in the image of a god that is beautiful. And whose infinite word is immutable. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of HBCU, where we are healing brown communities unconditionally. Thank you so much for checking out another episode. I want to encourage everyone to uh, keep listening to us. Make sure you're following us um, and make sure that you are um, following the Dive Media platform. You can listen to our podcast and a plethora of others on Dive Media on all your favorite uh, podcast platforms. You're listening to your host, Akima. You can follow me personally on any social media platform at princess akima a-k-e-e-m-a and you've got Macau, and i can be followed on facebook and instagram at Macau halim underscore wellness that's once again on instagram and facebook Macau halim underscore wellness m-i-k-a-l i'm sorry m-i-k-a-l-h-a-l-i-m they need the whole name to be able to follow you absolutely all right Macau, how you doing today um, I, I'm very relaxed, actually, and um, learning to uh, maneuver. I guess we are like entering maybe since July just started, maybe month four and a half or five of quarantine-ish conditions. So quarantine-ish, <laughs> emphasis on the ish. <laughs> no, just maintaining, um, just maintaining. And yourself, cool. how's it going? Um, I'm doing pretty good. And it's interesting that we were mentioning quarantine and life as we know it dealing with the coronavirus, because our topic today has, um, I mean, I guess you could do it in quarantine, but I really think you got to get out of quarantine to be slightly more effective with this particular um, topic. So, you know, um, as you all settle in to listen to today's podcast, we're going to be talking about activism. Now, as soon as I say that word, that's going to spark something sweet for some people and something, I don't know, maybe controversial and antagonistic for others. But either way, we're getting ready to dig into activism. Um, I'm going to kick it over to Mikhail because you all know this is our educator, our, our resident educator. And um, Mikhail, what is activism? You know, um We've got to always, always, very important to, especially when we're talking about topics that involve uh, communities um, where multiple people are living and working and, and you know, uh, working together in spaces and all those kind of things. We want to make sure that there's no confusion when we're talking about something as critical as such as uh, a topic as activism. Absolutely. By, by definition, which is why um, we're going to go into this, um, it's like, what is activism? You know, and um, this is off of Merriam-Webster. The policy or action of using vigorous campaigning to bring about political or social change. And so, you know, I had to read that definition several times, as always, as we all should do with all mm -hmm. things. Um, and I had to highlight the two words, vigorous campaigning, because, you know, just like Akima said, the English teacher and me, um, and the educator and the researcher, likes to break down words and, and sentence diagram and things of that nature. So I'm looking at, you know, who is actually doing something in this sentence. And um, the action is, is the campaign, if we're looking at uh, verbiage. But, you know, Akima, when you think of campaigning, you know, I think of naturally, we've got an election coming up uh, later in the year. But what are other... Uh, are you, you voting? <laughs> I ain't put them on the spot. You got to answer that. Look, look, look how she's trying to set me up, y'all. We sitting up here talking about activism. Y'all about to get active on me. 
I just, I just feel like that's we won't. Hey, listen. How about this? We're gonna talk about that. We'll get into that on another episode. We won't go. Through that. Gonna, Absolutely, because you know we don't we don't run scared on here. We don't run scared. Oh, of HBCU. Ain't nobody scared. Ain't nobody scared. <laughs> Um, but I was thinking, you know, when I think I hear the word campaign, you know, I just I really think of commercials when it comes to voting. Um, yeah. Are there any capacities that you can think of or kind of just open that campaign word up to to where it applies to what um, your thoughts on activism are? Man, campaigning. I mean, it's always it's a persuasion. And so we campaign even if we're not trying to win an election per se. You know, I think about people who are trying to get employment, people who are trying to encourage you to come patronize their their businesses. You know, we campaign all the time. You're trying to use your words, use your behavior, use your actions to change the mindset of another person to be in line with yours. And so I'm constantly having to try to get your attention. Now, it's interesting that you know that my mind even went there because when you initially said the word campaign it left a bad taste in my mouth because obviously with politics and the corruption that's in government I was like campaign I was like "Mm, not so much but then when I thought about it I was like wow we campaign all the time like it is just something that we do to try to get an individual to see our point of view and to potentially be in line with us so yeah those are some other instances um and i've done that you know um shout out to when i wasn't self-employed and you were constantly trying to um advance in the workplace and you were trying to make sure that your peers would want to report to you and that upper management would see you in a way yeah we campaign all the time so if you think no i don't campaign i never ran for office you've done it you may be doing it tomorrow at work or at your telework or whatever kind of work you're doing um but yeah we campaign all the time I was also thinking about, too, um, we defined activism, the purpose of activism, and we want to talk about these things because not just what we see activists doing, but like these things have have a purpose as well. Activism also has a purpose, and they're looking to create change in policies and practices. Sometimes that's on a governmental or on an industrial level, and sometimes that's also to directly change the behavior of individuals. And so even if the intent is like, I have this one thing I want to change, it can have this ripple effect to impact something greater than themselves. Absolutely. And um, going back, I'm just going to touch on that definition again, because what you're speaking to now, it sounds like we're talking about um, persuading groups of people or a person in this particular instance, in a political or social manner, to see a desired outcome achieved. And um, so again, now we're kind of going into what the purpose of of activism is and you know we we see in the media and on and television um there are many people who you know they wave their proverbial flags figuratively speaking for whatever causes that they believe in um whether they're religious or in education or if they're you know just like you said day-to-day business owners are waving so-called flags to persuade or to campaign um to draw people's attention for something now, when I think of the purpose of activism, I have to really set my mind on what it is specifically is the need for for this action. Um, because, you know, a lot of times you'll see people, and I'll just throw out an example. Um, when you see some of the rides that have been on of late in 2020, 2020, um, you know, you might turn on CNN and you'll see Target. You know, and there'll be a group of 
people. I won't, you know, not in any particular ethnicity in particular, but they'll be breaking things, burning cars and all those kind of things. And it's just like, well, I'm not sure that that's really filling a need or void. Um, so when I think of the purpose of activism, I think that we've really got to um, get a little more detailed and go into more of a, a, a planned um, approach to, to what we're actually trying to achieve so that we can um, identify step-by-step key details of what we're doing. Um, but I just wanted to flip this to you real quick. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was thinking about the, um, the statement that you just made related to the, the burning of like the trash cans, the destruction of property. And I do not condone that sort of behavior. So I want to make sure that I say that before I say my next statement, because I feel like my next statement may have sounded like I condone that behavior. But I just think about like when people get so emotionally charged and when you don't see where, you know, you may have some that are being constructive and who are trying to do the things that you're mentioning. And I'm all about planning, being wise, and then going after your target very strategically. And I think about some of the emotional charge. I think some people are, you know, just troublesome or want to be troublemakers or whatever sort of word you'd want to use. But I also think a lot of times people get so fed up and they get so tired and that it is unfortunately demonstrated in that kind of behavior that Macau, I'm going to put words in Macau's mouth. Y'all know I've been doing that the last couple of episodes. Um, (laughs) Is that it is, um, it is their emotions are just so charged. And I just want to acknowledge that because I think that it is hard to regulate your emotions and to be strategic and to, um, to do these things. So I just kind of want, and, but again, I'm not condoning that sort of destruction and that behavior because it's like your message gets lost sometimes when those behaviors become the forefront and the unfortunate thing. And I don't want to turn this into a media thing, but I will make one comment about the media is that they'll take that message that got misconstrued at your highest, um, you know, loss of control of your emotion, and then they'll run it every you know, two minutes, 10 minutes, you're seeing the same sort of thing. And so I think, you know, I'm not sure where you're going, but where, where you're heading, I'm hearing like the construction and the planning and being strategic. But I do want to acknowledge that there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of people are really tired. A lot of people are really angry about different matters that they don't always feel that non-destructive behavior can accomplish their goals. So. Absolutely. And, um, I'm just also thinking of the capacities in which activism can be used as a tool to to bring restoration to communities. And uh, one of the examples that I wanted to kind of go into, because police reform has been such a a hot topic, um, not even just of late. I mean, just going the path back into the Obama administration, um, you've you've had a lot of hot issues with um, police activity and engagement with citizens. And, you know, just thinking about the capacities um, that activism can be uh, used to restore communities. One point I wanted to bring up in particular, since police reform has been such a hot topic and not even just lately. I mean, I can just think since, you know, since we graduated from undergrad, you know, and right before the- You know, he's always trying to bring up how long ago since we graduated. I'm just trying to- I, I didn't drop the year just yet. I, I'm I asking you not to. I'm just, this was my precursor. Like, we don't need to do all that. You know, I'm, uh, even though everybody's going to be smart enough to put two and two together one day. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
you know, um, but you know, when I started working, I found it interesting. One of the first jobs that I had at Kema was as an education director with the police metropolitan boys and girls clubs and police. Let's focus on that word for a second, because that's where I'm going with this and police engagement. And we're still talking about activism, mm -hmm. but what capacities that I was able to witness to see police engaging with um, young African-American males and females and then between the ages of six and 18 um, and there were no arrests. Um, I didn't see anyone getting beaten. Um, you know, there wasn't anyone charged with, I don't know, chewing bubble gum too hard. And, you know, I'm just, I'm saying that jokingly, but of course it's not like conceptually funny, but um, I was able to see that there used to be a structure in which police were actually employees of recreation centers. Um, some, they, sometimes they would be found in school districts, but they wouldn't be working as police officers. Like I'm on the beat, I'm here to arrest people, I'm here to serve tickets and all those kind of things. And I, you know, that's just kind of my personal two cents on that point. Um, can you think of any um, capacities that you've just witnessed in your craft and, you know, in your journey that you've seen effective uh, forms of activism? Um, it's, uh, it's funny because it's like the fact that you use police in a positive um, point of reference. I mean, I, it made my mind drift to when have I had personal positive interactions? And I don't know, you know, as a, as a black woman, um, I personally haven't had any negative, but I can remember instances just being afraid, you know, having been pulled over um, and being frightened. So actually it was just really good to actually hear like, oh, there are people who've actually had some better experiences than what I've had. And I also think about too, I used to, um, work in a pretty high-end part in um, Washington, D.C., and there used to be police officers who used to patrol the facility. Now, it's a part of D.C., if anybody knows, that's been gentrified, and so, of course, the police are out there because, I mean, they needed to make sure that these million and billion-dollar companies were, um, their merchandise was taken care of, but that I was just, so polite. That was very polite of you, by the way. I just, you know. <laughs> that was very polite. I'm a nice, I'm nice, I'm nice most of the time. And I was just thinking about, I was like, oh, there's some really amazing cops there, but neither here nor there. I, I mean, where do I see good examples of activism? I, mean, I consider myself one, even though, even though it's low key, right? I don't know a million people, but I feel like those who I know, they, they know that I'm always advocating. I'm always working to persuade. Um, I'm, I'm doing it in a way where I'm changing the mindsets of people. And I hope that when enough mindsets change related to the things that I'm passionate about, that it will begin to have some impact on policies. But this is where I kind of differ with some of the um, definition is that like, when I say I don't care, I don't mean it in a nonchalant, like I don't care, but I don't care if rules and laws don't change because it's not going to stop my push and my press as it relates to the things that I'm like super passionate about and that I know need to change so that people in my communities um, have a better way of life, you know? Um, so I, I think about myself and I know 
that, you know, before we wrap up today, I definitely believe that McCall and I both will share some of, you know, some historical points of references as it relates to activism. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about too, and I'll throw this question out and I know we both can answer it, it's just around the word equality. Because many times I think some of the more modern and probably even the historical references as it relates to activism relates to an inequality that is seen, that is felt. And when someone either gets the courage, the wisdom, the guidance, or just like the fed upness, um, fed upness, y'all, I just said it. It's like, irregardless. Oh, pause. Did you hear? <laughs> Not pause, but pause. Like, did you guys oh. hear that irregardless is actually now in a, a formal, did you, that's, I know, really random with activism, but irregardless is now a real word. Anyway, um, it's not a real word in my food life. For thought. Food for thought. Food for thought, okay. But thinking about equality, the lack thereof, and, you know, one of the questions that I think about is, like, is equality a realistic goal? And the reason why I think about that is that people are constantly going to be working towards equality. When you see something like, that's not right, that's not just, that's not fair, I want to help to even things out. I wonder, is equality a realistic goal? What do you think about that? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> um, and I definitely have thoughts on it because I have to enter another word into this question, which is equity. And I'm learning and I've learned over the years that equality and equity are not the same thing when it mm -hmm. applies to pretty much any concept. And uh, I guess you guys, I can give an example of what I mean. Um, everyone doesn't need the same thing. You know, um, when I was a basketball coach, all of my, my athletes, they needed different levels of coaching. And even that goes back into my teaching um, in the classroom. I'm a special education instructor. And one of our uh, points when we're developing curriculum standards and, and curriculum guides is differentiation. And equity, for me, ties into differentiating um, services, because we're still talking about services and healing, mm -hmm. but providing and making sure that that specific service matches the need of the individual. And, uh, you know, Akeem, I know as a holistic practitioner that you, um, you know, you're not, and I'm just going to throw out kind of a silly example, just, um, just for conversation. I'll, I'll clean you know, it up when you're done. It's okay. Absolutely, please, because I'm just going to get real messy in five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you have uh, someone who comes in um, pre-diabetic, you know, you're not going to guide them <laughs> as if that they have certain heart conditions. And I could be, you know, speaking in ignorance on that particular. I'm just kind of throwing ideas out there. But you're not going to prescribe um, one size fits all medication or service or herbal treatments, so on and so forth, um, for your patients. You know, that's a doll. I actually, well, I thought I was gonna have to clean it up, y'all, but he did pretty good. So kudos to Mikhail. Um, yeah, it it we, it definitely is an individualized approach. And I'm glad that you used the word holistic and we're talking about activism and we're talking about the difference between equality versus equity. And thank you so much for answering that that way. And just for those of you who don't know, just want to read this to you all, that equality has to do with giving everyone the exact same resources, whereas equity involves distributing resources based upon the needs of the recipient. And that's exactly what Mikhail is saying. And so when we think about 
again, in my practice, no. One client comes in, and I tell them all the time, please don't come in here, and then your mom came in here, and so how come mom got something different from me? Because mom needed something different from you, and you guys are both going to have the same end goal, which is to be healed, to be restored, and for your body to function the way that it was designed and created to function, but the pathway to get there is going to look different for a different individual, in that when we're out here fighting for, um, you know, justice and equality, I really do like the idea of kind of pausing and looking at equity to see what are the needs of the people. Now, again, people are going to even have to fight even for equity because unfortunately, um, the reason why activism like has to even like, why there is even a need to have activists is that those who have the resources that could feed everyone, they're unrighteous and they're unjust, and those individuals will never have a concern about there being enough equity for everyone to be covered and to be cared for, and then so there's going to have to be those who rise up and speak for, and again, advocate, so for me, I think activism and being an advocate, they go hand-in-hand, and we have that example of our great advocate, um, that's how I feel anyway, and so, but yeah, people are unjust and unruly, but I definitely think that there could be individualized approaches, and I think that when we're going for things, it's not like, well, you got this, I want this too, well, do you have need for that, and that could go down a whole rabbit hole that I don't think that we're going to touch on in today's episode. However, perhaps we'll talk about that. And for anyone who thinks or is curious about what I'm alluding to, I'll just say this and leave it at that, is that when I see different ones or different groups kind of jump on or leech on to the work that a different group is already doing. So it's kind of like, oh, well, you've made movement here. Let me just jump on board what you're doing. And then the message gets lost because the original group and their purpose that they were working towards gets blurred somehow because others kind of jump in on that. And I'm going to kind of leave that at that. And if we touch on those sorts of things in the future, um, McCall and I will be sure to talk more about that. Um, Because of the nature of what we try to focus on here with um, HBCU, I definitely want to talk a little bit about what is the price of um, being an advocate or activism. Like, what does it cost um, people and I, you know, Mikhail, what do you think it costs you? Because I believe that you Ooh. are such an advocate, um, and you do, you are not advocate, you are an activist, excuse me. And is it costing you anything? Well, um, one, I, I truly appreciate that you even consider me. You know, you asked me a very interesting question, and um, I, I truly appreciate that you even consider me in that kind of a light because of just the seriousness of, of what it entails to be an activist and how to um, to implement that kind of work. But you actually, whew, y'all, like she just laid a question on a black man on here. I did. Um, yeah, I've, I've got to I've got to go in and be transparent on this one because uh, I want to help somebody. Hopefully, somebody who's listening. You said, you said to yourself, you consider myself, you consider me, not myself, but you consider me an activist. Um, I, I do study the work of some of our great historical um, activists in terms of reference so that I can actually be mindful and conscious of the information that I share with people. But uh, to answer your question, that's come at a tremendous price um, to my social circles, um, even people in my family, because um, there's just so much information um, that sometimes a lot of people aren't even ready for activism, Akima. 
and even on that, just um, I want to share just a quick note, footnote of another of a black male athlete, a brother by the name of Craig Hodges, because we're talking about things that we lose. And, you know, I've lost friends. Um, there's conversations with, with very close relatives that um, have been very limited over the years as, as my understanding of activism and my ability to participate as an activist in society has increased. But I wanted to just make light of a brother named Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges was a member of the 1991 Chicago Bulls championship team. He played with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. A lot of you all um, are familiar with those names. But Akima said something interesting because she was talking about the cost, the cost of activism. And I brought him up because traditionally when sports teams win a championship, they're invited to the White House in the fall of that particular year so that they can meet the, the sitting president of the United States. At this time in 1991, it was George Herbert Walker Bush who invited the Chicago Bulls championship team to the White House. Now, at the time, you know, there was a lot of uh, racial tension going on in cities like Los Angeles, California, and things of that nature. And um, criminal justice reform, which seems to all, I was going to say, which used to be, no, it still is. There's no use to with criminal justice reform. <laughs> same old, same old. But um, Craig Hodges actually, one, he came to the White House wearing a dashiki, which was unheard of, still is. Mm -hmm. Um, this still is, is by the way, still is. <laughs> Absolutely. And he had a handwritten note that he slid to, again, George Herbert Walker Bush, um, specifically outlining, and I'm going to read this directly off my notes, expressing discontent for the administration's treatment of blacks in America. Now, why am I saying all this? Because it came a, he lost everything regarding his NBA career. Um, he was released or waived is the term that they use in, in that kind of a format. He was waived by the Chicago Bulls in 1992. I mean, he was in the prime of his career, never received another opportunity to yeah. play professional basketball. And, um, you know, it's just such a heavy price to pay, such a heavy price to pay. Yeah, I, wow. I, I definitely agree. Um, I'm definitely going to share um, one of my activists as well, but I was thinking about the price of activism. And one of the things that I would want to encourage anyone on here, because, you know, fight the thing that you need to fight, you know, the thing that you feel passionate about and you feel drawn to and you want to organize and be strategic, like, go for it, okay? I want people to know that it can take a toll on your health your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, you know, um, and even your impact on business. And I, I know Mikhail mentioned that he's um, had some strain put on some of his uh, familial uh, relationships. And I think about how when you start to speak up on things that go against mainstream, anything, anything that's the norm where the crowd is going and you go in the other direction from the crowd, you also have to, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, I want to fight that. But you also have to be ready for, I hate to use the word consequences because that's not really what I mean. Repercussions maybe is a better word here. Um, so, um, side effects, whatever you can think of, but how that, those things can impact. I think people are impacted with their businesses or people may choose to patronize or not patronize based upon your beliefs with the matter. Um, you yourself just getting worn out, you know, and getting fatigued. We've talked in previous episodes about, you know, the, the overwhelming angst that we undergo and just how that gets compounded and how we get malaise. 
I'm bringing that back for y'all who heard that previous episode and Mikhail was dropping all that knowledge Absolutely. And so I think this is another instance for that. And I mean, even if you're just out protesting, I mean, like I've been to a few protests and your feet hurt. I mean, yeah. Like I want people who are out here marching to also like get comfortable shoes and come get some reflexology. Insoles. Insoles. Get some insoles, right. Um, I want people who are undergoing all this emotional toil to also sit down and talk with someone. I want these folks to be meditating and to be praying because it's like you're doing one thing and you have all this fervor and in another area you're being depleted. And I'm just like, fill that tank up in all the ways so that you can actually do the work with finesse and excellence. And I think that may be one of the ways in order to be able to temper some of that emotional, like we mentioned that earlier in the episode of like, how do we get from like zero to like 180 so quickly? Because there is no balance to to it sometimes you know we just kind of go and get um get ourselves going um a question oh and i was going to tell you all one of mine i know he mentioned an activist that was um pertinent to him so i will share recently and if you haven't already i mean definitely read um read his works and his plays and essays and all that jazz but for those of us because we're so driven by just videos and technology because that's just like where we are and it's okay you guys can turn on netflix and you can watch a um really well put together and it's under two hours and it's called i am not your negro um and it talks about uh, good one james, good one it is it really is and it talks about james uh baldwin and for those who don't know he and i'm reading this he's an american novelist playwright essayist um poet and he was also an activist um he has a lot of collected um, works, such as uh, Native Son, and they talk about all kinds of things from racial, sexual, class distinctions in our Western society. I actually wanted to read a quote from him that I just think is just really powerful and one that I think is pertinent. And it says that not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can change. Nothing can be changed until it is faced. And like I could mic drop on that and kind of be done. And so for me, he went into rooms and to spaces where people were not hearing what he had to say. And he used that time, no matter how much was given to him, to speak on those things that needed to be spoken on. And so for me, I felt like he eloquently and so intelligently and just beautifully, like just beautifully worked as an activist. And even now, like we're still benefiting, I'm still benefiting from him going into those spaces and doing um, and doing that work. Because Mikhail brought up a um, basketball player, I guess a question that we can throw out there too is like, do you think that athletes and entertainers qualify to be activists? Whew. <laughs> Short answer, um, I do not. And um, of course, I don't wanna just throw that out there without adding context. Um, but y'all know I'm gonna make my historical references on this show. My brother uh, Malcolm X um, was noted saying that, you know, only African-Americans at that time, and this was a speech uh, he gave in the 60s, um, we are the only community of people in the world who elevates, you know, our entertainers and athletes and comedians and things of that nature to positions of political activism. And he noted, and I'm not saying that he was absolutely correct or anything like that, but I do believe that he was onto something. Mm -hmm. um, but to say that that's why we're seeing such stagnant progress, um, because we don't have those 
who have dedicated their lives. And now this is going into Macau's answer. Um, <laughs> you know, there are people who I've encountered in the past five years that came out like uh, Dr. John Henry Clark, um, Shahrazad Ali on the restoration of the black family. Um, those people, and what, what separates them from, and you know, I'm not even going to try to drag anybody or do anything like that because I love Colin Kaepernick. So let's compare two so-called um, individuals who I would put in the realm of activism, so to speak, and Absolutely. what differs Colin Kaepernick from John Henry Clark or Shahrazad Ali. You know, Colin Kaepernick came up playing football. You know, he was gifted by the creator physically to have the tools, and that is his gift. And, you know, that's not discrediting Colin Kaepernick in any capacity because I think the work that he did it, and, you know, not to bring that topic back up, but the sacrifice and everything. I'm going to bring want. it up because now Goodell wants to play. Um, now we want the Black National black Anthem. Black National Anthem. <laughs> Man, get out of here. But <laughs> too late. Um, <laughs> oh, all I want to say is I am not your Negro. <laughs> when moving. You hear me? Like. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, people like Colin Kaepernick um, versus your John Henry Clark, you're talking about time and energy. Because really, if we look at a, a foundational understanding of economics, economics isn't more so related to money, but it's more related to the use of humans, one, a human being's time and energy, because that is going to produce resources, produce money, produce things that you need to take care of yourself. And so what I mean here is, Someone like John Henry Clark, as my mother would say, you know, he didn't even take a bathroom break from African history. And you know what I mean? Like, he held his bladder mm -hmm. to make sure that we have endless, as close to, you know, as close as he could get to the truth information regarding what needs to happen in the history of activists, um, radicalism, all those kind of things moving forward, versus Colin Kaepernick again. That's not taking anything away from him. But his time and his energy has been dedicated to another craft. And that's not to say that he doesn't have an awareness. I know someone like Kyrie Irving is another NBA athlete who's kind of fallen into this kind of spacey um, where people are questioning, you know, their yeah. dedication to activism. And I understand that. Um, I don't think that it's an opportunity for us to put those people down. Um, but that's where I see the activism um, regarding athletes, the differentiation between the athlete and the activist. Um, yeah, I think, I think those are good. And I think that, you know, they have to perfect their craft because see what happens is, you know, and I'm a believer that our gifts make room for us. And so because he was such a diligent athlete as a child, I'm just going to speak for Colin Kaepernick, he was able to take that and be an activist where he was planted, where he was sent, where a door had been opened for him, where he wouldn't have otherwise had a voice in that sphere, right? Had he not um, been preparing all the years prior. So we have to be grateful for those. So I think for me, I think it's like, you have to know where you're supposed to be and everyone's level of activism isn't going to look the same. Like someone who quote unquote dedicates their whole life for me, this is Akima speaking, I won't put words in Mikhail's mouth this time, is like, I have to be where I've been sent and kind of dispatched to be. And so different ones have the different assignments. And I, I definitely won't discredit because I'm grateful for everyone in their respective spaces doing what they need to do so that um, 
I would say if I was to leave anything as we're wrapping this episode up is that I think that we need to consider like what the impact of um, activism has. And so I'm a believer that the, the decisions that I make, the sacrifices that I make right now, like all the things that I do for my individual family, as well as the impact and the mark that I leave on this world is going to outlive me, right? It's going to be beyond Absolutely. my lifetime and beyond my generation. And I think if we can keep that mindset in the forefront of our mind, we will, we're all have the potential. And I think you used the word earlier capacity to be an activist in our respective realms. And then I think from there, it can grow into these things where now you're no longer just impacting the two or three, you may find yourself impacting the tens, the 20,000s, the one, the two millions, you know, just depending upon where that grows to and if that is a part of your assignment while you're here. Absolutely. And um, I guess we can just transition to, you know, examples of effective activism that we see going on in the world today and um, encouraging where we are right now. You know, what are some of the things that we can all begin to ask ourselves these questions to hold ourselves accountable? Um, because what we mentioned earlier in the show, you know, the past several months haven't been um, what we would consider normal. So we've got to re, again, we've got to adjust and be flexible with how we're approaching um, bringing healing back into our communities that are in such dire need um, at all times. Um, but Akima mentioned just being able, and now I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm sorry, introduce another word, not a word that nobody knows, but outreach. Outreach, and um, how many people can you touch um, using your platform. And I think some of the more effective examples of current activism have been uh, Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, since I believe it was when Trayvon Martin was unfortunately uh, uh, murdered um, by George Zimmerman, whose name I can't, anyway, that's the only light he will ever get on this show. But, um, you know, Black Lives Matter has been very diligent, extremely diligent. And just bringing, you know, just public awareness to, to many people who um, were unaware of police brutality, um, self-policing, um, lynch mobs. Because, you know, just because that term is old, you know, somebody like Ahmaud Arbery was lynched. These, these young men were lynched. Um, but anyway, without going into the negative aspect of that, you know, being able to take those tragedies and bring awareness and then producing an outreach project that can touch millions because, you know, you've got streets painted in Europe in European cities that say black lives matter. And, you know, that started here with three black women. So I have to definitely give them credit uh, for what they've put together. Absolutely. And my last um, words here will be, I want to give a shout out to each one of you all who are listening to this podcast right now who in your respective communities, in your homes, and in your families are making a difference. Um, I think what becomes a long-standing impact is when we begin to impact our sphere of influence. And I think if we start in that micro level, it has the ability to really grow. And so I, for me, when I think about nowadays, I'm watching all these people who are taking a stand, who are getting who have gotten, not even getting, who have gotten sick and tired and who are no longer being afraid to speak out against injustice. I just want to celebrate you and I want to, um, I want to thank you. Remember Bravo. here on HBCU. Bravo. 
bravo to you. And remember here on HBCU, our goal is always to be reaching to our highest potential. So go and reach to your highest potential as it relates to activism. And if you aren't sure where to get started, um, we threw out a few names, but not even nearly enough. But go ahead and start doing your research as it relates to activism, what an activist is, so that we can be constructive and we don't wait till we get to those emotional highs and we become um, destructive in what we're trying to accomplish. Um, but again, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of HBCU. This is Akima. And this is Mikhail. All right, and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. This song here to invoke you all to see that he is a god of culture. The same god that made this variety at Babel. Not lives inside of me. Not doing this here to insult you. Want you to see he's a god of culture. The same god that made this variety at Babel. Not lives inside of me. I did this song here to invoke you all to see that he is a god of culture. The same god that made this variety at